Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, powered by Sportsman's Empire, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 103, Deer Ribs, Brisket, and Side Meat. On this episode of Huntivore, joining Nick on this in-depth discussion is returning guest Nathan Judice, the recreational chef. Together, they unpack the rib quarter of a deer, the location, characteristics, and sound cooking treatments of each of these muscle groups. Along the way, the guys add tips and tricks to get the most out of a very finicky quarter. If you've been wanting to better utilize your deer's midsection, making it easier to bone out for burger, or even elevate these underappreciated cuts to center stage, tune into this episode of Huntivore. Hey folks, welcome aboard. A um, little bit of a different jaunt here tonight. We are going to be doing, uh, or lack of a better term, I'm calling it Huntivore's Head to Hoof. Triple H, and we're going to be taking a deep dive into specific cuts and specific parts of the animal. Um, I fielded a lot of questions, as I'm sure a lot of wild game chefs, including Nathan here tonight, on, hey, I got this cut. Now, what do I do with it? Or, hey, you, you showed me you showed me how to get to to this part, but now I want to make something that my family's going to enjoy. And so what we wanted to do with Head to Hoof is basically give you some direction, but allow you to then take it to your finished element. We'll give you some dishes, but we're going to give you some uh, nitty gritties on how to get there and then how you can specifically get that piece of meat the way that you want it to go. Um, so tonight I have the recreational chef. I got Nathan Judice with us. Um, did I mess that up again? Did I say it right? Oh, you got, you got it right. Yes, I got it right. Uh, Nathan's coming to us from Louisiana. Am I correct? Yep. Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Awesome. Down on the boot. Excellent. Excellent. And in fact, uh, sipping tonight, I have, uh, Northern Michigan, rye so i'm going with a rye whiskey here made uh by mammoth distilling i saw you had a little glass what do you got going on yep, so i have some casamigas tequila Ooh, some sipping tequila sipping tequila fun stuff fun stuff 
So, Nathan, I left this up to you, and I let you choose the cut. Uh, and we had talked a little bit about this. You'd been one that I brainstormed a little bit of what this project was going to be. You've got some things that you're you're putting on the, uh, the back burner that you've been working on. And I kind of left it up to you. I said, Nathan, where is the recreational chef going to take us? And you jumped all over the rib section, the ribs, yep. the side meat, and the brisket. I was, I, I'm, I'm impressed because you're taking on a challenge that most uh, choose to avoid. They, they go with an option A, which we're going to talk about here in a little while, being the grind. But you've taken a real step into this project. What, what, br- what brought you to choose ribs, brisket, side meat as your cut that you wanted to discuss? Well, mostly because, you know, sometimes when you're at deer camp and you don't have those experienced, um, I guess, butchers or, or cooks, see a lot of people just tossing the ribs in the gut pile or doing the gutless method, leaving the rib and the, the brisket and all the, the side meat and just taking the back strap, the, the hind quarters and just tossing the rest in the gut pile. So, you know, it's just something I like to showcase to where we have utilize as much meat as we can and you know not leaving it out in the gut pile absolutely absolutely i think one thing to save it from the gut pile and maybe this is just a methodology i learned uh from a guy who's actually in the trade of of butchering they start with the least desirable cuts first so when you put that deer up on the table and you start breaking it down to quarters you don't get to do the backstraps first. You got to save those for last. And you're you're taking apart the shoulders and you're working on those rib sections first when you're energized, when you're you're ready to do this because I I've been there. I've seen it happen before with guys. They do. They they're tired. They they're now out of beer. <laughs> they want to go home and I don't want to deal with this rib section. So, yeah, you're right. That does get cast off to the side but I feel with like each of these different parts um we're going to end up talking about each of the different sections here we've had we've got the ribs um we've got the side meat which is going to include the flank and the diaphragm and one cut that I've really kind of really attributed or really got excited about is the uh the breast or the brisket of the animal that's been a real good fun one to uh to play with um, give us a good location of, of where this all is. I mean, we understand where the ribs are, but I don't think people understand how far back, uh, like the side meat and the flank starts. Where, where do we find these cuts? Yeah. So, you know, you're looking at your, your side meat. I mean, it runs, it covers a portion of the back of the ribs and runs all the way, um, cavity, the stomach muscles. And it goes all the way basically to the pelvis. Um, so a lot of that is is good for what you said earlier, grinding. Um, you know, you can pressure cook it or braise it and do lots of things with lots of different th- techniques with it to where you can use it in other other. Yeah. Oh, I'm freezing here a little bit. Yeah, like you mentioned, it goes back by the pelvis, way up by the groin, and yep. that's where you're pulling off the, the flank muscle. 
Um, so those flank muscles attach yeah, near the groin, and they come right up to that first rib. Um, as I'm cutting those, that's usually the piece that I've, you know, we've already field-dressed the animal. It's been hanging. I Now time to get after, maybe it's time to get after the, the tenderloins on the inside. And I'm actually scoring that, that meat away uh, to fold it off to the sides, give me a better avenue to get at those uh, prize tenders. With that flank, it's almost one of those cuts where I'm going to want to pull those off at the same time as I'm pulling out those tenders. If I don't want to let them uh, fully hang, I mean, here up here in northern Michigan, I can let those hang uh, for a you know, a week in the garage, uh, a little bit different story where you're from. Yeah, it must be nice. <laughs> <laughs> some days, some days. I tell you, February, I, yeah. I'd like to be down there. Um, but as I as I pull off those tenders, you know, because I don't want to let those dry out completely, I pull those out early. That's probably when I'm going to want to tank those flank muscles as well. Uh, very thin in profile, but at the same time, they do offer a wealth of of substance that you can get off those the grain pattern on those is very pronounced very long very striated um same thing with the the diaphragm or the skirt steak i think that's one thing that a lot of people don't understand is that that diaphragm is your is your field dressing and that piece of muscle that you're pulling out that's what skirt steak is that's what you see at you know when you're making fajitas or getting fajitas from the local uh uh from the local Mexican sto- Mexican shop, you're you're getting diaphragm from that, and again, very striated, a um, lot of connective tissue, not a whole lot of fat though in those in those pieces. Yes, yeah, some sometimes you have to kind of. I mean, if it's a smaller deer, you have to watch out when you're, uh, are, you know, cut that out and toss it with the gut pile because it's you know it's just kind of up in there with the guts. Yeah. Yeah, smaller deer especially, you're gonna be it's gonna be real thin. Um yep. not to say that it wouldn't be worth the save, but it might find itself into, you know, the, the trim pile that we're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then then jumping back as we get into those intercostals, um, I guess that's the from my anatomy class, that's what they called the muscles that overline your ribs. It's hard to point those out on me. I've got this extra covering over my intercostals. I like to keep those covered up <laughs> with a few layers. But those those muscles, um, yeah, they they don't necessarily help with posture, but they do help with like the breathing. Um, they allow you to really uh, be able to move that center trunk, keeps things together. Um, and those muscles, they do a fair about a fair amount of work, especially when it comes up and down. But at the same time, they're also laced with huge pockets of fat. I mean, that's a good showcase, I should say, is that I've got plenty of marbling going on on myself. But those, <laughs> those rib sections offer a, a wealth of meat that, that can be exploited. Um, yeah, there's going to be sheets that, are, that lay out. They're thinner, and there are large go- globs of fat that are in between those sheets. Um, but when you get to a bigger deer, you're looking at another, you know, five pounds of ground. If that's the ground, if that's the route you want to go with. Yeah, easily. So I actually have some, uh, some rib meat right here that's taken off in, in a sheet. And, uh, I mean, you can see right here, it's a half an inch, three quarters of an inch thick. 
in one area. I mean, this is just a small portion of it, but um, you know, that, that poundage adds up quick, especially if you're going to grind it, um, you know, don't miss it. Yeah. So for, for guys, here we go. We're going to give you the first thing that you can do and that is grind it. Yes, we are. Grinding meat is not something to shy away from. You know, I used to be one of those people that would put my nose up to the grinder. The less meat that would go to the grinder, the better having children, getting to the point now where it's like, shoot, it's taco night, it's burger night, dad's got to make something, pulling out a pound of ground from the freezer is just a wonderful thing to have. Those little nuggets of gold that are in those freezers. So I've, I've, yeah, I've come back on uh, what I have said about ground. I think it's actually now a beautiful way to use venison. Um, And likewise, these three muscle groups, both the intercostals, the flanks, and the diaphragms, offer a wealth of flavor. One thing I have found is because it's so thin that if I can sheet out the rib from the reverse side, so if I put what would essentially be the bony side or the inside and lay that face up on the butcher table, I will then take my knife and score out the bone, basically trace both sides of the rib. And then once I've done that, sneak my blade behind and pull out just that rib. And at that point, I can pull out the sternum, I can pull out each rib and leave that whole sheet intact. I think that's the right play when it comes to trying to get the most out of a rib section, especially if it's a bigger deer. Well, actually, I would say even if it's a smaller deer, because if I go through and I do, I trace in between each of them and pull out just those little ribbons, I'm going to end up with a lot of little stuff that's going to be really hard to cut with. But if I have a big sheet of it, that's going to make it easier for my knife. And I think the tip here, too, put that on a large cookie sheet, put that on a large rack, throw that in the freezer for 30 minutes. Even if it's in the fridge, that, that's enough to do it, too. But then yeah. bring that back to the table, and cutting out the fat, cutting out the sinew will become much easier because everything has firmed up. So cold meat is good meat to cut, and I think especially when it comes to that thinner profile when you're working with a rib section, yeah, you're going to want to be able to, uh, to firm that up. Am I? Yeah. And no, you're exactly right. It's especially when it's frozen, you know, it's easier to get that sinew off. Um, much like I didn't do here on this one, you can see, I have it that I haven't filleted off yet. Um, but another thing that the getting the meat cold and the fat cold is great for is figuring out which fat is good fat. Um, as you know, the, the harder fat that you're going to get on deer, especially the ribs, um, it's going to turn the wax basically once you heat it up and then cool it back up, cool it back off again. So you don't want that wax, waxy fat in your mouth for sure, or your food. Yeah. I've seen guys take a piece, like at this point, it'll be just any, any cut of deer. And if it's, if it's even like a shade hair white, they're cutting that out and it just seems like they're taking a a long time to do that where and when you look at that diaphragm um when i open that up you see the striations and you do see some of that i don't want to say marbled but you do see fat interlaced with those muscle fibers yeah that fat's not going to hurt you that's not the waxy fat that we're concerned with 
the the fat we're concerned with is that tallow, that stuff that usually sits on the sides. Um, shoot, man, you get a doe in December up here in Michigan, you can expect uh, probably a good three quarters to a full inch on her behind. It is just wow. thick stuff. You, I mean, at that point, you just you're taking your knife and you're just like sheeting it off. Yeah. That stuff, I mean, there's there's definitely a use for it. Maybe not on your plate. I know the birds would enjoy that tallow, but at the same time, the fat that we're that we're leaving on these animals, and you find that when you chill it down, it's still going to be malleable. It's still going to have. It's going to move with the meat. It won't be firm, but it's those firm pieces you want to get out, and you can just kind of you don't have to worry about uh, the soft fat essentially. Yeah, that's the good stuff. That's the the good coating you want whenever you're braising your meat. So good. We've got good location on where these muscles are at. They are, they run from the groin all the way up to the rib section and in, uh, you know up into the chest being where we're going to pull out. Oh, the brisket. I haven't, I haven't even talked about the brisket. Um, and that's that front chest muscle. And I feel like sometimes that muscle is put right into where the, uh, the rib section is going to be. It, yeah. It's not a very stand. It's not a very. Uh, it's not a very thick muscle. It's. I mean, we're we're talking two different animals. When you talk a brisket of a beef, that is a prominent muscle. Their chest hangs so far forward. It is a big muscle group, and barbecuers love that. And it needs a ton of work, and it needs some expertise when it comes to cooking that muscle. And I feel like the brisket on a deer is much thinner in profile uh not near does not hang down near as much um i think the deer is usually using its rear legs a lot more than it is its front legs especially when escaping things with the bounding um as opposed to lumbering around like like a beef it's a completely different animal but that that brisket piece can still offer a wealth of flavor separate or wealth of uh dishes separate from the rib section itself um, actually who led me on to this is, oh shoot, I forget her name, Wild and Whole. Um, she's uh, part of the that, uh, group. Yeah. Uh, Danielle Pruitt, I think is her last name. Yeah. Danielle. Yes. Yeah. Danielle does a, she has a great article all about, uh, the brisket and that got me excited to be able to pull those off. And it's now become one of those cuts that I, I look forward to taking off and saving along the side. Um, just like the the side meat where the flanks where I'm trying to take those off at the same time I'm yeah. taking the tenderloins, I'm going to want to get in there, cut those briskets off because they are thin in profile. I want to get them you know, covered up so they don't start evaporating and getting the crust on them. But they do offer uh, a great amount of flavor. Um, oh, I'm looking through my notes here. Uh, yeah, connects from the sternum, comes back to the shoulders, thinner in profile. But again, all of this grain is well pronounced. You don't have to search to find where these muscle fibers line up. And this is going to play in especially uh, to our favor once we get into the cooking style of the, how we're going to cook these up. So we got the location. We got the makeup. And now we can move into, oh, things that we want to watch out for. Um, one of those things, we, we already talked about that, that thick layers of fat. Uh, the waxy stuff, get it out of there. 
Um, chilling it down, that's going to tell you exactly where those pieces are. So when you fold that back, you're going to feel a real hard section. Don't feel afraid to get your knife in there. Peel that out. Move that off to the side. Um, second one, and this one is unavoidable. We are not using a captive bolt uh, on these animals to knock them out right away. We are we are going in with a side shot. Uh, we're going for the lungs. At least that's how that's how we've been taught to to go that route. Is you want to get that ideal broadside shot? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is is the headshot a big thing down in Louisiana? Is that a southern thing or or not so much? Is that a Texas Texas thing? You know, it's mostly. You know, I don't want to be uh, attacked, but uh, yeah, I guess it's a southern thing. I, I don't typically do it, um, but so bow hunt now. I still pick up a rifle, you know, quite often, but I'm not a head shooter. It's too much that can go wrong, you know. Gotcha. No, no hate, no flack coming at you. Uh, just yeah. really asking. Because if I could, if I could smack a deer in the head and save all of that on the inside, oh, I would. But the odds are, yeah, <laughs> the odds are not in my favor when it comes to that. So, yeah, I go for the easy, vital shot on that. But naturally, because either A, we're sending a rifle through through ribs, or we're sending an arrow through ribs, there's going to be blood meat. And that is something that is just unavoidable. If you, if you cut a rib in half, I would probably, the two sections on either side of that broken rib, I would probably leave alone. Um, you're dealing with bone fragmentation. You're dealing with possibly contamination. It's just something that eh, it's better rather than I know I want to save every scrap that I can. But when it comes to the point of getting that nitty gritty, like give up those two sections and then work your way on on the either either sides. Um, I also have found too yeah, is after I'll definitely week, agree with you on that. Yeah. Uh, I remember trying to save that portion after, um, you know, this was many years ago after my first deer with a rifle. Save those, and I finally get it back to the actual cutting board, and I see it under the light, the nice fragment of uh, from the from the round, just covering the, you know, the copper and the lead, just oh covering those goodness. portions of meat. So I was like, well, I guess I'll just toss this. <laughs> so that's another thing you have to look for, not only the blood and and the bone charge is also any type of bullet fragments that that can get in that in there from the shot. Yeah, so our shotgun hunters, our rifle hunters, yeah, that's going to be something. You're, theirs is definitely going to be a far more pronounced than say a, an archer, but still at the same yeah. time, it's all about you, it's stuff you don't want to consume. I have found too, like I'll look inside and have I'll have washed it out real clean and everything looks good, and I'll actually see uh, the penetration hole. And be like, hey, great, I got a clean-looking carcass here. And they take the skin off, the outside looks great. And when then when I finally take that quarter off and I begin to sheet that out, that is when I find a lot of that blood that's been sandwiched in between some of those layers. And, you know, unfortunately, some of it... Uh, it just gets so intertwined in between the muscle fibers. It's worked its way into the sinews. It's just, it's tough. You got to let that section go. But I've also gotta cut it out. Yeah. I've also come across where um, I've sheeted it out. And I've actually, with a brisket, I've seen this. I've pulled off the brisket and 
the the blood is all caught in the sinew layers. So as I peel it off, the blood is coagulated on the outside. But if you take your knife and scrape it, you can scrape that coagulated blood and that sinew tissue. It's real bubbly. It almost feels yeah. like a, a water balloonish. Um, but you can scrape that off, and the meat is left intact. So those sinew layers separating the muscle portions help you, save you in keeping some of those external muscles. But, yeah, once it gets closer and closer to that bone, uh, there's just more yeah, there's just more blood that gets worked in, and it's hard to get out, and you might as well just cut your losses. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that blood clots, you can almost fillet them off, as you would say, um, with that sinew and everything off the, off the muscle. But, yeah, once you get closer to bone, you got to worry about bone fragments and all the nasty bits. If, if you have a bad shot, you know, or quartering away, quartering two shot, you get some, some gut pass through, then then you might have your arrow or your bullet pulling some some guts through as well. Right. So. And that brings us to our third, the punctured paunch. We're, we're not, we're, I mean, we're human. We are not perfect. And if we send a shot through the gut, that kind of changes how things are going to work out. Um, if I could, if I could give you a game plan or if I could have a playbook for you, and say like, hey, you just gut shot your deer. Well, then, subsequent, you're, the result is you need to find that tonight. <laughs> That's not always how that goes. You shoot one further back than what you that you're supposed to. The the, the way you, you the way you do that is you let it lay. You let it just yep. sit, and you find it tomorrow. But that brings in some difficult decisions because now you you've opened up that. You've opened up the gut. You've opened up uh, organs, and that's gonna that's gonna leach out some enzymes. That's gonna leach out some stuff that uh, is not gonna be not gonna be favorable. Um, my suggestion, I guess, if if I find it that night, you know, I you know, flushing the whole thing out with cold water is gonna be wonderful. They do have a thick membrane on the inside of that rib section that is going to help to keep that that uh, um, the outer layers. It's going to keep those clean. If it's left overnight, though, before you can get that open, it's I guess it's really going to be up to the individual who gets upon that deer to figure out what they want to do with it. Some are going to be kind of like in my corner where they're going to they're going to push it and they're going to say, you know what, that membrane is going to save me and I'm going to see if I can't save some of this. Others are just going to say, hey, that's a lost cause because of how close uh, that meat is to to something spoiling it. And I, I guess I'm not going to I'm not going to fault them for that because that's that's going to be a call on that specific situation. Yeah. You know, every situation is different, especially, you know, one big thing to take into account is the temperature as well. Um, you know, if you have a warm a warm evening, warm afternoon or if you shoot it in the morning uh, that's something that you need to take into account and maybe not touch those uh touch those areas that are compromised and just get off what you can um in those situations yep that's why they don't call it grocery shopping they call it hunting yeah when in the field accuracy and precision count 
That's why we switch our slug guns to rifled barrels, tune our arrows, and use a fish finder on the water. But why should our drive for control end there? The Tappacue line of meat probes gives an instantaneous look at the temperatures of our prized meals, both internal and the cooking chamber. Tappacue uses sturdy hardware made and assembled here in the U.S., along with their user-friendly, sophisticated software that connects to your smart device. Whether it's a traditional corded probe or the new cordless air probes that give you a wealth of freedom where wires would just get in the way. Adding a Tappacue meat probe can significantly help in getting to that medium rare on venison or waterfowl, ensuring your upland bird stays moist, or even charting your long cooks on a smoker. Visit Tappacue.com or find the link in the show notes. And use the code HUNT10, all uppercase, at checkout to save 10%. Adding a probe to your kit can make you one tap away from your cue. So, yeah, now it comes that we've talked about where it's at. We've talked about what it looks like. We've talked about the characteristics of each of these cuts. We've even talked about things to watch out for. Now now you've already got it. You've pulled it out of the freezer. Nathan, what do I do with this? And that's where we're trying to answer some of those big questions. Um, and so now... Let's dive right into the the elephant in the room, the rib section. What? How are you approaching a rib section? Well, either with bone, yeah. Let's go with bone first, and then what you're going to be doing without the bones attached. So, if you're trying to do like a rack of ribs, um, what are the styles of cooking that you're using on that, Nathan? Yeah, absolutely. So, as we all know. Uh, well, specifically in the South with, with deer, with venison, you're going to have a lot less fat or a lot less good fat, like we discussed. So that's going to be something that's going to be against you the whole time with, with this cut of meat, because it's going to tend to dry out because it's so thin. Um, so what I, how I typically approach it, uh, there's two ways you can, um, the way I like to do it first is smoke it low and slow. Um, for probably two hours, um, not enough to dry it out, um, but long enough to where it gets a good smoky flavor. Um, and then from there, you know, you take it off and you can either move into the kitchen um, and to your oven um, by putting that in a pan with some type of uh, liquid, um, whatever type of flavor profile you're gonna go with, you know, it's just some type of liquid to keep it steamy and then cover that with foil and pop it in the oven for another couple hours. And then it's a three-step process. And then you want to get it back out to a hot grill or a broiler. And that's when you go to basting and putting your barbecue sauce or your sauce to where it gets a good caramelization on it. Um, that's kind of how I approach it with, you know, bone on if I'm going to do the ribs. Gotcha. Um, would it help just on the cuff um, if they brined first? If we're trying to impart some sort of moisture, um, because it's going to go through all a lot of processes, it's going to go through yeah. a lot of cooking. A marinade isn't going to do. I mean, yes, it's thin in profile, but I don't think a marinade's going to touch what we want it to do. Whereas, if we gave it a wet marin or excuse me, a wet brine, um, you can add your aromatics, you can add your you know your peppers and your uh, your heat to it as well, but at the same time, being able to impart that salt and lock in the moisture 
uh, through diffusion on on these pieces. Do you think a a brine would help a rib section, especially when you're going to go to trying to serve it on the bone? Yes. So yeah, I, I like to brine pretty much every cut of meat, no matter what it is. It always with with wild game, it always imparts a little more moisture. Um, and then, like you said, that sodium helps to draw in the moisture, keep it in, and adds a little bit more flavor. Um, the aromatics, you know, you can only impart so much. It's kind of just what dissolves into your um, your water. Um, some things won't actually really impart much flavor, but um, I keep it pretty simple. Uh, when I do a brine, it's mostly salt, brown sugar, um, some type of pepper, uh, usually. Um, chipotle pepper or, or something like that and sometimes onion and garlic and that's pretty much what i put in my brines but yeah it will it will prevent it from drying out keep it a little more moist um whenever you're putting that on that long cook good i like that i like that where the flavors you want to come through that have a punch your chipotle your garlic your onion those those pack a huge punch so even just a little bit of time in the brine is going to impart that flavor, your subtle notes. Um, you know, you're talking like your oregano, your your rosemary. That I mean, that's maybe not to be something you want to put in, at least in your rack of ribs. You don't want to mess with it at that point. Yeah. The real punchy stuff, and then yeah, the salt and, and brown sugar. Those are going to be what you're going to want to use at least to to get a brine going. So we get for a rib section, get them on a brine, even if it's overnight. Come it out, pat it dry. Then you said going to your uh, your low and slow method. I was saying the same thing too. Like when I do my rib sections, I do that two stage cooking. Um, even if it's throwing it on for an hour of, uh, of to get this smoke flavor, I sometimes I cheat and I use the liquid smoke stuff and I put that right into either the crock pot or even the um, the Instapot. I know Instapots, a lot of people are picking those up. We've got one. Um, and it is really nice for getting some of those things done a little quicker. Uh, but that same idea that it's a braise, that it's a, it is a wet heat that I'm applying to it, and I give that the time that it needs to soften that up. I do feel like it's one of those things you kind of got to babysit too, Easier to do in a crock pot and in an oven, like you were saying. A little harder in a in a uh, instapot or a pressure cooker, just because it's one of those you seal it and it's hard to just peek at it. Um, you can get these done way quicker than what you want them to, to the point where they don't hold on to the bone at all. They just <laughs> they just all dissolve off that. Which I mean, at that point, the meat is so stinking soft and so stinking velvety, it'll be good with whatever you throw on it. Give me a give me a straw. I'll suck that stuff up. But at the same time, it is one of those things like where you said two to three hours, we're not looking at the same like with pork ribs where you're looking at four to five. We're we're cutting those back to like two or three and paying attention to what's going on. Yep, for sure. And and like you said, you can do it in reverse order where you where you braise them first, then you can smoke them for a little bit and then raise your temperature and get that that color on them, color on them at the end. Um, my pre preference is doing it smoke first. I feel like this you get the smoky flavor more. It's more pronounced in that case, but um, both methods are fine. They both work great. I've used both of them, both methods. So perfect. Just just pick your poison. Yes. Yes. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I like to babysit any time that I'm smoking or cooking that at the same time, like, babe, I can't walk away from this. 
I know I'm I'm already six beers in deep and I'm not watching anything, but at the same time, like I need to be here next to this next to this smoker. I feel like I have to be here. Have um, to. But we totally agree on the same last step that it's hey, you've got this piece of meat that it's it's now soft and it may not have the appeal that we're looking for aesthetically. That's where that char comes in. That's where you said the basting really comes in. That's when your barbecue sauce comes into play. And are are you going are you going high pepper at this point? Are you going with a hot barbecue sauce, or are you kind of lean in Memphis? Are you going for that sweet, uh, real rich barbecue sauce that you're basting all over that? Are you keeping things sweet? Or are you going towards spicy? So. I have a almost two year old, so I try not to keep it spicy, but I prefer it spicy. Um, but if I'm making it for myself, it's gonna be it's gonna be spicy. So I have a I have a pretty big fig tree in my yard, so I make a um, and I have a garden as well, a small garden. So I make a fig and habanero barbecue sauce that's sweet and spicy, or pretty spicy. So I'll I'll use that on my ribs, and it turns out really good. If not, I'll just you know pick up some something really sweet like sweet baby rays or something and and um that's you know a crowd pleaser just something something sweet is uh you know good for everyone's palate but sometimes you got to bring the heat yeah shoot man we're supposed to stay on this subject we're staying here and all of a sudden you start talking about fig and habanero in a barbecue sauce dang you nate now we have another episode we got to talk about. <laughs> That's a sidebar. We, we ain't here for sidebars. <laughs> we'll get together on that. So, yeah, there's our yeah. rib section if we're keeping it on the bone. Um, yeah, not too much off of pork, but basically we're toning down some of those times uh, because the venison's running leaner, because the venison's going to run a little thinner. We're going to want to watch those times. But just like you said, you're going to want to add your smoke. You're going to add your braise, and then you're going to go right into that hot heat where you're basting and be able to serve those. Um, I talked about my, my pressure cooker using the Instapot. It's just a quick quick thing that people now have. Um, let's go off the bone. Actually, no, we're going to go back on the bone. I wanted to talk about my own little rendition that I did, and this is a, this is one that, it does take a lot of extra extra butchery time. Um, so I know we were sheeting things off off the bone, so we've got that, or we're keeping things, things on the bone. What I end up doing is actually take this guy right here, this little cleaver here. I have yet to make scales for it, but anyway, that sucker right there. That will help separate that sternum out, or you can cut out the sternum um, just using that uh your boning knife and going through the ends of your ribs that's it's really thick cartilage and it will break off if you just keep your working your knife through there and it'll pop off so once you get your individual rib um what i end up doing is like i'm trying to sheet where i'll cut both sides the bone score the one side but leave half of it attached or the last quarter attached and I will then take that sliver of meat that's still attached to the bone, and I will roll that up tight and then tie that on. So it presents a really cool-looking dish. I refer to it as a lollipop. 
and it's basically a micro pinwheel attached to a uh, attached to a rip. And that the reason I bring this all up is that it's going to stay very similar to what we've been talking about with it on the rib is that I'm going to want to go with a, a braise. I'm going to want to go with a slow roast. Um, you could add a smoke if you wanted it to, you could add, but I, at this point, it's such a small package that going with a specific braise is going to be where I want to stick with that. And once that's got to that point, I am then going to transfer that to something super hot. And that's where I then add on, uh, the barbecue sauce on both sides of these things and to char that up and try to keep that bone clean and you drop the bone you drop the bones into like a mason jar and then you just put that out as front as a appetizer i tell you these little lollipops just blow people away i've done it with two like deer it. one for my family's christmas i won't, they've never they had, at that point um they had never had venison, so I did like four courses for them, and this is one of those courses That's that awesome. I did. Yeah. And then the other one was for like a little Christmas gathering, and I just put two mason jars out, and I tell you, I they were just full of bones. They just they they'd lick it right off. They put the bone back, and I didn't bring anything home. I just dumped the bones. I was like, "That's a win. Yeah. That's a win." Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that one. I'm definitely gonna try that. That's a I can see the presentation in my head of you describing it. Yeah, that's sounds awesome. Gotcha. Yeah, and I know the folks listening right now, um, you're listening to this audio. Uh, there will hopefully be a visual, and you'll see that in some of the B-roll as Nathan and I are talking. Um, we're going to try and get this on YouTube. I think it's going to be a, a good presentation for this this venue here. So, yeah, hopefully we'll be able to, to show those off. And, then yeah, Nathan, I'll, I'll shoot those off later, you know. I'll shoot that to you, and then you shoot me the fig and habanero. We keep coming back to that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so I want I did want to want to touch on that presentation because it basically it, it follows that same uh, method that we're using on this, and this is going to be one of those things we keep bringing up. Is it's going to be a, a two stage when it comes to the rib section? Is it's going to be a, a wet, low and slow? into a, a high heat at the end. So if that's how you're going to want to prepare things, that's that's the way you want to go with. Um, now we are getting back into now uh, something of a different animal here. I shouldn't say different animal, just different cut. We're coming into that flank and the diaphragm and the brisket. And those three, or actually, shoot, let me back this up a little bit. Because, again, I'm looking over here at the notes. If everybody's looking at my, like, lazy eyes, I'm, like, staring off to the sides because I keep <laughs> going back to my notes here. Um, you've yeah, got this bad boy right here. you got a McRib that you're talking about. Look at that thing right there. Yeah. It's primed and ready to go. Woo! So if you're making a McRib, first off, you're not – this is not endorsed by McDonald's because <laughs> I don't know what McDonald's makes theirs out of. But tell me how you're making – a real rib sandwich out of this. Are you pulling bones out of this? Is it a braise and then pull bones? Or what kind of magic are you putting together? Oh, so this is the the patent pending rib roll. I didn't invent it. I just do it. You know, so you like you said, you can you can get the rib meat off in one in one nice beautiful sheet. Um, and then once we have that, I like to like we discussed, trimming out that hard fat and and trimming up the sinew and getting everything nice and perfectly rectangular 
Um, one thing to note, it's mostly meat. It will shrink a lot, so cut it bigger than you need it. Um, for this particular, I guess, dish, I like to braise it first instead of smoking it. So braising it, there's no bones in it. You don't have to worry about the bones getting in the way. Um, braise it for a couple hours, pressure cook it for, you know, 30, 45 minutes, um, and then get it out, get it sauced up in your favorite barbecue sauce and uh, hit the grill, get some good color, some good grill marks, and then just build your McRib from there. Nice. Nice. Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong with that. Um, so, yeah, now we can jump forward into that flank, the diaphragm, and the brisket. And the reason I grouped them together is the characteristics of each of those cuts is very pronounced muscle grain, very thin in profile, and they're all going to react the same way to heat. Uh, as you're cooking them, they're going to they're gonna react the same. They're, you know, things are going to shrink. Things are going to move. Everything's going to kind of happen the same way, even though they happen to be three different muscles. Um, the way I approach it is because they're so thin, um, score that whatever uh, connective tissues on the outside of those. You just give that a quick score, uh, score and then marinade. Um, marinade is one of those things people use a lot, and I don't think I think they try to I. They try to do the same thing with a marinade that they do with a brine, and it doesn't quite work that way. A marinade is only going to go about a quarter inch deep into whatever you're trying to to do. But if your piece of meat only happens to be a half inch thick, well then, shoot, man, you're getting that on both sides. It's going to do what you want it to do, and this is the perfect uh, opportunity to do that. So I score both sides. Get it in with a marinade. Make sure you got an acid. Make sure you got an oil. And then add your aromatics, add your spice, whatever you want to that. Um, hitting it with high heat. And then I'm slicing it across the grain. Because those grain, if I cut it with, it's going to be real chewy. But if I cross that grain, that's where I'm going to get it to really start to fall apart in my mouth. Yep, that's where you get your uh, your classic uh you know fajita meat from basically that that cross grain cut um another thing i want to add about marinating you know if you a bigger deer where some of these are a little thicker um you can inject your marinade too um it won't necessarily penetrate as much um, but it'll add that flavor a little deeper some of your spices and and whatever you're using that marinade absolutely absolutely my my go-to dish, I was going to say, if I'm if I'm going to pick something from this, is um, actually came from a brewery, one of our fam, fam, one of our favorite breweries. Uh, me and my wife, um, pre-COVID, they had these steak and frites, and it was like flank steak, and they would throw that on a whole bed of uh, uh, French fries, and they'd hit it with this chimichurri sauce, and I mean it just. It just opened up my Midwest mind, just blew it. And I was like, I am all in. COVID happened, and then everything shut down, and then they started opening things up for, like, where you could go and pick up the beer. And then yeah. they started opening up the kitchen. I was like, oh, yeah, steak and frites. And they're like, oh, yeah, we don't do that anymore. And oh, it, I, t I took it personal. I just was like, oh, why would you do that? So having these different cuts of meat that I was like, shoot, it's not fajita night. Like, what? I, I don't want to mess with that. But, like, switching gears and going, taking that same mentality where 
I'm gonna try and make my own steak and frites. So I'm doing my I'm doing my uh, my fries and whatnot, and I'm making the chimichurri sauce. Um, which come to find out, there is a huge debate on whether you should blend, use a blender for your chimichurri, or whether you should hand chop. Like the authentic Argentinians are all about the hand chopped, and I, this is a whole yeah. other subject. Again, another side tangent. We can't go on it, but there. That's okay. a thing. <laughs> I'll let people decide where they want to go with that. But at the same time, like, take that meat, marinate it, let it even sit overnight, and I'll do what I, what I prefer to either either dirty grilling, or it's called or caveman grilling. I don't even put the grate back on. I get the coals ripping, and I lay that piece right there on the coals. And you'd think like that thing's just going to be ash. Well, I'm only cooking it for no more than. 60 seconds like literally it's on my stopwatch on my phone and when it gets to 60 timer goes off i pick it up and i flip it over might there be a piece of charcoal still kind of connected to it absolutely but most of them they stay right there um i would probably say also do this with lump charcoal bigger pieces aren't going to stick as much um a lot of additives in the the briquettes yeah um so I would say stick with lump charcoal if you're gonna if you're gonna go that method. But if I flip it over, not a whole lot sticks, but I do get some of the, the ash pieces on there. Sixty seconds on that end, I pull that thing off and I just let it rest for about ten minutes. I don't do anything to it. Let it do its magic. I cut it against the grain and man oh man, the inside of that is just I mean, a hair above rare, but the same thing, it's tender. It's moist, it's flavorful, and this is, these are all cuts that would have ended up in my grime pile if I if I really wanted them to be, if I really didn't take the time. And these are three things that I can then serve either, like like we were talking about, fajitas, or in my case, throw them on fries, hit them with chimichurri, and boom, that's your new favorite. For sure. So yeah, I'll, I'll dive into mine. So um, I like to make a, a pinwheel. So I love to do this with fish too. I mean, it, it's good with any type of meat. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be these cuts either, but it works well for these cuts. Uh, so I like to lay out, um, lay out the cut and pound it, you know, get a, get a bottle of liquor or, or, or whatever you have in handy and just pound it out as much as you can. Helps tenderize it a little bit. 10 inch um, like cast said, iron, man. That's my mar- That's yeah. my beater right there. Yeah. <laughs> use, use the bottle of, uh, bottle of tequila. <laughs> I, I would be too ginger with that. I, you know, <laughs> it'd be too light after the time I was emptying it as well. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So, you, so pound it out and, uh, you want to season it on all sides, even the side that you're gonna, you're gonna stuff. Um, and I like to use a combination of, of, um, pesto, um, and roasted garlic. Um, those, both of those go great together. Basil and garlic are just, you know, two peas in a pod. And what you can do is slather it on there. Um, sometimes I'll even throw some spinach or some more uh, vegetables in there. And you're going to roll it up tight. But what you want to make sure is, is when you're rolling it, you want to make sure you roll it the proper way to, when, to whenever you're slicing it. You're, like you said, slicing against the grain. It's where you won't have a chewy piece of meat. Um, and what you do, once you get it rolled up, you can either truss it with twine, uh, butcher's twine, or you can just put some toothpicks 
and you can either get it on the grill or I like to do it on a cast iron pan, sear it hot and fast, take the pan off the heat, put a couple knobs of butter, baste it with butter, get it off the pan, let it rest for, you know, five, 10 minutes and then slice it. And it'll uh, present with a beautiful pinwheel. You'll see the, the, the green from the basil and the, or the pesto and whatever uh, vegetables you put in it. And it just adds a really good flavor and, and um, serve it with, I like to serve it with uh, ratatouille or whatever, you know, it, it's summer right now. So we have lots of tomatoes, eggplants and zucchini and squash. So that's kind of what I'm, what I'm playing off of right now. So that's, that's what I would, what I'll do with those cuts and what I like to do with those cuts. Nice. Nice. My pinwheel is definitely not as exciting as, as yours. <laughs> yours is, is dressed it up. Um, my, I, I made a video of it just because it, it used, uh, the rib section and it used these cuts. Um, I want the, what I did is I hit it with, um, basically a zesty pork sausage, uh, seasoning and I hit both sides yep. of it. It, it definitely works out, but it, it's not as showy, but I hit it both sides of that sausage seasoning, rolled that sucker up tight, tied it up, um, roasted it in a little roasting pan until it rendered out a ton of that fat that I had missed, uh, either be it the, the hard waxy or the other fat, but basically just kind of, you know, softened that up to the point where it was, yeah, it, was, it wasn't It was soft. It still had some bite to it. It still had some stability, but it was one of those things like you're like, I don't want to eat this as a, as a log necessarily. Um I end up tightening it, tightly wrapping that in cling film, throw that in the fridge and just let that settle overnight. Wake up next morning and then I just started cutting it half inch thick. So it was just like a little half inch, uh, almost like a circle at this point where, yeah, it's that pin, that pinwheel shape. But at this point I don't have all the, the beautiful vegetables coming out of that or the, the tomato sauce in there. It's just the meat itself sear both sides hard throw an over easy egg on top and i mean that's a good breakfast for for out the door yeah. works out really well but yeah it definitely as i was looking at i'm like it doesn't look very appealing i think it's probably like a british dish <laughs> because it it looks terrible but man does it fill you up for the whole day but i like i like your presentation a little better where you're using a little bit more of those those summer uh summer vegetables there to really brighten that up yeah yeah, for sure. Well, man, Nathan, we have talked about the rib and side meat and brisket for a long time here. If if somebody tunes in and really did not know what to do with that rib section, I think we've got them at least on the track. We've laid out what to so. do with the with the rib meat with the intercostals. We've laid out like flank brisket and uh, the diaphragm, the skirt. They're all creatures of kind of the same environment. They they react the same, and you can do a ton of stuff with it, whether it's chopped up and thrown on fries or whether it's rolled up really nice and then cooked up to show off their their elegance there. I think we've got a real we got a real spread going on here. Is there anything that on your mind that we're forgetting that we need to throw in uh, on our episode here? I don't think so. I think, you know, one thing that I guess you didn't cover in closing is don't toss it in the gut pile, grind it, 
you know, it's great, even ground. So, Gotcha. Gotcha. Yes. Don't throw it in the gut pile. At least put it in the trim. You will not not forget it. Oh, shoot. Yeah. My uh, my brother-in-law, he's big. He's a big pasta guy. And all he talks about is ragu. Like, this would be excellent yeah. stuff for ragu. Yeah. And you can keep it whole, pressure cook it, put it in your, in your crock pot. Not you have a shredded ragu instead of ground ragu, you know, it, perfect for that. Excellent, excellent. Well, shoot, Nate, thank you so much for uh, for hanging out with us on on Instagram. You are at the Recreational Chef. Uh, where can we connect with you? Where where else can we find you? I know you've been on before, but again, remind our listeners where uh, where can we where we can find you. Yep, for sure. So I have uh, my Instagram handle is at Recreational Chef. Um, I do have a website as well that I uh, post recipes here and there uh, of all types of game from from fish all the way to alligator. Um, that is RaisedOnWild.com. Also have a Facebook page with the same name, RaisedOnWild.com or RaisedOnWild. Sorry for the Facebook page. Well, perfect, perfect. It's been it's been good. Thank you, Nathan, for joining in with us. And I sure. know our listeners and our viewers are going to be, yeah, they're going to be keeping this stuff out of the gut pile. I think they're going to be thanking you up and down. So, again, Hopefully thank you for so. your that's time. The, that's the goal. Good, good. Well, hey, folks, whatever you're doing with this meat, make sure that the knife that you are using is always sharp.